Welcome in, Pyromaniac fans! It is about 10 a.m. on Wednesday, August 16th. Drafts are nearing. Some people will be having their drafts this weekend, and we're here to get you ready for that. On today's episode of the Pyro Pulse podcast, we will be going over a tier review with George Kritikos of PFF and We'll be looking into some of his dynasty work there as well. We had a pretty long interview with George, and and thank you again, George, for coming on. It was awesome having you on, but we had fun, so we went a little long. So the interview is about an hour long. So let's dive right into these, uh, these news updates, and let's get you started. First off, let's start with Ezekiel Elliott. He will have his suspension heard by Harold Henderson as he officially submitted his appeal yesterday. Um, Because it's not Roger Goodell, I believe there is a better chance of a reduction. But until we get more news, let's keep it at six games. And in those six games, or whatever Zeke's absence ends up being... It looks like Dallas will go with more of an RBBC approach rather than Darren McFadden being the standalone handcuff. Out of Arizona, Bruce Arians has said that Jerron Brown is the Cardinals wide receiver too, not John Brown, so Jerron Brown. Uh, John Brown has come back and said he he returned to practice yesterday after two weeks off, but he said he's still not 100% from his back cyst and his quad injuries. Um, I just want to give you a a quick update on that. The beat reporter, Mike Yurecki, has no idea what he's talking about. He DMs me on Twitter saying, this injury has nothing to do with his sickle cell trait. Okay, if you don't know what sickle cell trait is, you need to go look it up. Basically, the red blood cells are not full blood cells. They carry oxygen to your soft tissues. Sickle cell trait means you have soft tissue issues. All of John Brown's injuries have to do with this sickle cell trait if they impact his soft tissue issues. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, Out of Chicago, despite not looking so great in their preseason opener, Mike Glennon is still in a strong lead for the Bears' starting quarterback position over Mitchell Trubisky. And some exciting news out of Dallas, Jalen Brown, last year's second second round pick for the Cowboys, will be making his NFL debut this weekend. So that's exciting. We get to see Jalen Smith play finally. Out of Philadelphia, Ryan Matthews finally showed up to camp yesterday. He passed his medical exam, and he was cut. So, Ryan Matthews, out of Philly, as we all expected. Going up to New York, oh man, is Lucky Whitehead having the worst offseason ever? I think so. He just had a broken foot, and that's after being released by Dallas for erroneously being accused of shoplifting. So this is really not Lucky Whitehead's offseason. I really hope the best for him. 
Number seven, let's go down to uh, Washington as Kirk Cousins kind of surprisingly stated that he wants to be a Redskin for life. I haven't dived into this to see how valid this news is, but that's, that's really surprising given the, the word out of Washington lately and just seeing that he has taken one-year deals every single offseason for the last two going on three offseasons this upcoming year. Back to Chicago, Jeff Dickerson has stated that Adam Shaheen could make an immediate impact and he could have a big role this season. So keep that in the back of your mind when you're looking at your tight ends because Adam Shaheen, former basketball player, they tend to get adapted to NFL a little more quickly than people who play tight end for their whole life. That's just something that I've noticed. There's no, nothing really backing that statement. And then the new Buffalo Bills wide receiver Jordan Matthews is out indefinitely with a chip fracture in his sternum. So Buffalo, tough times in Buffalo these days. Good news coming out of Miami is Jay Ajayi has passed the production or, or the concussion protocol and he should be activated for team activities. Out of Detroit, there's more Kenny Galladay hype. People are saying he could be the red zone threat immediately, and this is after a really, really strong preseason debut. If you want to find me, I will be at the Galladay Inn. Mike Williams of the Chargers is eyeing a return to action in October. I'm not 100% sold on this, but just something to keep in the back of your mind. Going back to Atlanta... Devonta Freeman has experienced a concussion. So there's some bad news out of Atlanta, but he should be able to get back active with the team prior to the opening season start week one. And finally, after the Jordan Matthews trade, there's been hype surrounding Zach Ertz as a high-volume receiver. I have been tooting this horn saying Doug Peterson, their head coach, has never really liked using wide receivers. He typically depends more on tight ends and running backs as they've been three of the top five target getters in his offense. And I stand by this. This report backs it up. And without further ado, let's listen to a quick advertisement before we get to George. So listen to our sponsor. We'll be right back and it's about to get lit.
All right, we are here with a George Kritikos. Uh, how are you doing today, George? I'm doing great, man. I know uh, I, I kind of kept Brad hanging here a little bit, but I, I swear we're, we're, we're ready to go, and uh, it's going to be a good episode. Yeah, I mean, I even got to get my, uh, my Minion iPhone game. I was just enhancing my skills in that, and we have a, we have a preseason game. We're recording on 8-9, so August 9th, so we have the first preseason game coming right up in about looks like seven minutes now so we're really excited for some useless football um but i sent george my my tears a couple days ago and he had a couple of uh couple of remarks where he said he saw me being a little too high on some guys a little too low on some guys so what did you think just as a overall perspective of those tears that i sent you no, I mean, I only marked a few guys. I like to think that you got 95% of it right, and I just, like, pointed out the other 5%. You know, we're always striving for 100%. We're just never going to get there. But, uh, no, man, I, I thought it was great. And, and you know, for, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a, I'm a Dynasty guy first. You know, I, I wrote for Dynasty League Football for a long time. So my, my mindset always seems to go there right away. Uh, but I have to remind myself what you sent me wasn't dynasty. Uh, and, and now I'm at pro football focus and, and it gives me a chance to kind of work on things like this, you know, things that you're doing. I definitely feel like I can relate to it a lot more now than I probably could have a year ago. Uh, so no, it was really exciting to, to see what you were working on. Yeah. And, uh, if you want to look at George's work, he is over at pro football focus and he is on Twitter at Rotohack. And one of his pinned tweets, I believe it's still your pinned tweet is the, um, you guys get a little bit of commission whenever somebody subscribes, and so you're putting your commission towards Fantasy Net. So tell me a little about that, and tell me what some things are going on at Fantasy uh, uh, PFF. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll start with what's going on at Pro Football Focus. Uh, I've been there now for a few months. I think this is about the three-month mark at this point. And uh, great group of guys. I'm really happy. Uh, obviously, I love Dynasty League football. I left on great terms. Uh, you know, Eric Dickens and uh, the group over there, they're all fantastic. Um, but this gave me a chance to work on some different things. And uh, as far as Fantasy Cares goes, you know, it was just a great opportunity for me to be able to, to give back a little bit. You know, I, I'm very fortunate in my life. I have a great job in addition to all the fantasy work I get to do. And, uh, and and I wanted to, to give back. And, and Scott Fish, one of the guys I met through uh, Dynasty League Football, is the, the guy who runs Fantasy Care. So definitely recommend anyone who's uh, looking to give back a little bit to, to start there. Because uh, I think I think last year they, they had a couple thousand dollars in, in Toys for Tots. I think this year they're up over 10000 already. It's pretty crazy. They're, they're, they're going so much further this year than uh, I think anyone could have imagined. It's fantastic. Yeah, and Scott Fish is known for the Scott Fishbowl where I believe there are 720 people playing participating this year and it's just a it's an Oshkosh it's a super flex league with a tight end first down bonuses no PPR and I mean just for all of us to get our heads around the scoring system took probably about a month so it'll be fun going into that but my first question for you George is how do you compartmentalize the redraft aspect in the dynasty aspect? Because dynasty aspect, I'm looking at, I printed about, I think I printed out all of your PFF articles. And it's like, you just went through every power five conference. You showed teams. This is a, a guy who's good for Debbie. This is a guy who's going to be good for fantasy. You talked about handcuffing in dynasty leagues and how that's different. And we both, uh, we both make reference to a JJ Zacharyson article where he really details why you should handcuff and why you shouldn't handcuff. But how do you compartmentalize those differences? 
Oh, man, it's it's tough. And uh, the worst part is when you're doing a redraft uh, draft at the same time you're doing a dynasty draft. So, so you really have to, to be well-organized. Uh, I'm a big spreadsheet guy, so I tend to have tabs for all my different rankings from redraft to Debbie to dynasty to, to keeper leagues to college fantasy football, all that stuff. So, so that's definitely one way I do it. Uh, you know, it, the, the hardest thing for me is – you know, as a dynasty guy and, and all the other dynasty owners, I'm sure can attest. I mean, you get so enraptured by all the rookies as you do your rookie drafts and you just have to really scale that part back more than anything, because how many rookies really hit in their first year and, and, you know, even more so how many of them are, are worth much of a draft pick in a regular redraft outside of, you know, I mean, there's always two or three every year, Leonard Fournette this year. And, and I, yeah, I would say Joe Mixon, but you know people are talking about him third on the depth chart, so who even knows at this point? Yeah, but and it's it's gonna be tough because you see you go into like a second round and you're like, oh, Dalvin Cook's on the board. Hey, Dalvin. Oh, wait, no, no, this is this is redraft. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so that's one thing. So we're gonna we're gonna get into more dynasty aspects in a little bit, but right now we're just gonna talk about the redraft. So what were some things that you saw um, specifically in my tiers that you shot you thought should have been changed or were a little bit off? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we're going to have differences. We're two different guys, and, and we're living different lives, and, uh, and and things are going good for each of us, it appears. But, uh, you know, I, I think I marked to you uh, uh, one guy I thought was at least a tier too high for me and one guy that was a tier too low by position. And, um, you know, if I started at quarterback, I mean, the toughest one to me right now, and, and I'm sure you'd agree, is Andrew Luck. I mean, what the heck do you do with him right now? I think – you had him in your second tier. You had him, I think, six. But, you know, I really think the tiers are the bigger thing to look at. Right. And, man, I, I'm a risk-averse drafter, and, and it's tough for me to want to pull the trigger on luck and, and, and pull him there. But, you know what, that could change in a moment's notice. And, and I could see him going anywhere from back up to the top three to going all the way out of the, the QB1 conversation. Yeah, because luck had the last year luck had the second best statistical season of his career and he was dealing with that shoulder shoulder injury the entire year so it's he's on the pup right now which doesn't mean anything it's whether he's sitting on the pup to start the season so he could come back any day and the the issue with luck is on september 3rd they could say he's playing and he's going to come out and put up 40 points on your fantasy team so he's one of those guys where if he plays he has the ability to just skyrocket up but it's mitigating that risk i don't think they leave him on the pup because they're not going to shut him down for six weeks but i think it'd take a heck of an injury to do that for yeah, sure but it's it yeah because i mean we're probably not gonna have that much clarity before draft season comes it's two weeks away drafts are really getting underway so yeah that's one guy and another guy you said i should raise because i'm looking at this email from you right now is Derek carr so at pyromaniac we're pretty low on car in general I, I think stag party is really the motor behind that but so what's your outlook on Carr this year i mean you know they can't have two failures in that family right i mean david cardi took care of that for the for the family for this generation but i i really like him i think there's a great offensive line there good receivers you know they added jared cook which which i think is at least an improvement there at tight end you know getting a little bit more depth at receiver with a guy like cordero patterson uh, obviously marshawn lynch was the big addition uh, i just think that for a guy who's done so much at such a young age and and they're really continuing to build that offense for him i don't see any reason why and and you had him in your third tier to be fair you know you have him in that 
borderline QB1 conversation. I'm probably more where you have luck is where I'd have Derek Carr. I think he's a guy who belongs in the mid QB1 conversation along with guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Kirk Cousins. Uh, You know, I know you have Russell Wilson pretty high. I'm probably a little lower on him, but I I think Carr's a guy who's got good touchdown upside. I think the yardage is going to continue to build for him. And, you know, the thing I like about him that separates him from his brother is he doesn't take those brutal hits the way that poor Derek Carr or David Carr, I should say, used to take. Uh, so, it, you know, but but really, let's be honest, right? The, the, the quarterback position overall, it's so deep this year. I mean, you know, late round quarterback starting, you know, it, it's been a popular thing for the last few years. And this year's no exception. I mean, we're 15 to 20 quarterbacks deep and you could argue any of those guys could finish top five yeah and i actually spoke with mike clay earlier today too and he's on the he's a little earlier on quarterback too he said he's looking to pull the trigger around the sixth round if you see a drew Brees or someone like that sitting there so he's kind of going away from the the analyst trend of late round quarterback but yeah when uh you spoke about those tiers and that second to third tier is really probably the biggest drop off at quarterback because you have those top tiers you have the four or five people that you're willing to take in the first six rounds and then you're really in like a quarterback wasteland where you're waiting if you don't get one of those guys you're usually waiting till like round 12 so he's in one of those tiers so i see why you want to bring him up one of the issues that i have with him is they brought in jared cook but they target their tight end the second least in the nfl second to the jets who are five percent and they're just Austin's fair and Jenkins might actually be their best player this year but um so they don't really target the tight end and they've had pretty lofty expectations for Clive Walford in the past so I kind of I pull the reins back on Cook a little bit and the the reflection the car ranking is more of a reflection of Amari Cooper he can't seem to get it done in the red zone so that's why they're going to turn to Marshawn Lynch and basically Lynch and Crabtree are their two options in the red zone so he might not have that touchdown upside that you see but I I can definitely understand where you're coming from where you should come up so now let's let's move on to the running back so who what were the uh the players that really stood out there for you I mean you know and and anyone who knows knows me knows I'm not a Carlos Hyde fan I've never been one uh yeah, I, I get I get the optimism for him. In particular, you know, Shanahan comes in and, and he's a guy who's worked his his running backs pretty hard and has shown a lot of success there. You think about, you know, his time in Atlanta. But for me, I, I just don't see I've never bought into Hyde as a receiving back. I know that that there have been some some great clips in, in uh, training camp that have shown him catching the ball. I just haven't seen him put that together consistently. You know, he's he's struggled with with heavy workloads and nagging injuries and i just don't know if if that's a a result of his running style it's hard to say with injuries right you know how can you uh you know define who's going to be more more likely to suffer an injury i don't want to say injury prone i don't think that's the right term but uh but yeah with with hyde i see him you know similar to isaiah crowell but i actually think i'd prefer crowell in terms of i think that offense has done a better job building up and with hyde i mean i could see them stacking that box Pretty heavily, pretty early. Oh, Hoyer is one of the best in the league. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, I'm a Bears fan, so so I did agree with you until this off season. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Carlos Hyde. You're always going to have to deal with the injuries. You probably your outlook for him is probably 13 games a season. So you're you're missing out on those games. But what I like is I prefer going with points per game rather than total overall points. 
Hyde for me is a, a top 10 or 15 points per game guy. So that's why he gets the little bump in my system. But I can definitely see where people are low on Hyde, especially with such a bad, just such a bad team in general. But, yeah, yeah, and I think I think if you put him on the right team, I think he would justify that ranking. I, I just I'm worried that the 49ers could go in about 10,000 different directions this year. Yeah, one stat that resonated with me about Hyde is despite the 49ers going two and 14 last season, they still ran the six most rushing plays. So. That's one thing they kind of it. That's a Chip Kelly system. He really likes to run the ball, and they run that that quick snap op- offense. But yeah, Hyde is one of the polarizing guys. I have him higher than most. You say he should come down. It's probably we could, should probably meet somewhere in the middle to be a little more risk averse. But uh, I'm gonna move on to the guy that you said was too low, which was Dalvin Cook. So what do you what are your feelings on Dalvin Cook? And I know this is gonna be one of your guys because he's one of the younger guys, so you must have done a lot of research on him. <laughs> That's right. You know, I like I like those rookies, but uh, yeah, Cook Cook is an exciting player to me. I really liked him at Florida State. He has great receiving ability. I know with with McCaffrey and with Mixon also coming into this draft class, he kind of got overshadowed a little bit in that regard and i think he's maybe not quite as good of a receiver but he's right there with them i'd say he's he's a half a tier below them in terms of receiving ability he goes on a team now with the vikings who were last in the league in yards after contact so i mean they, they had running backs who just weren't getting those yards when they needed it and i think it just all the opportunities there for Cook, Latavius Murray's injured. I know that offensive line's bad. I just made fun of you know Carlos Hyde for having a bad offense. I mean, Minnesota does have a, a, a passing game, so that's a positive. I just think Cook's going to be a guy who I could see being on the field pretty consistently for all three downs, uh, even in his rookie year. And maybe he won't get the 300-plus touches Fournette does. I, I, I don't see that, but... He's explosive enough where I think he'll he'll make some big plays and he'll be a guy who probably pays back more as a, you know, low end RB two as opposed to a, an RB three. Um, and so, what do you see for him on his uh, weekly variance? So, do you think he'll be a very volatile player, or do you think he'll be kind of one of those sure and steady Frank Gore type of like you're getting the low end RB two figures each week, but they're going to end up being an RB one. I think, I think there's going to be some variance because I think he's going to have to rely on that receiving game in order to really supplement those weeks where that Minnesota offensive line gets completely overrun by a good defense. And, and there are some, you know, maybe not that division doesn't have the best defenses, but, but there are some good defenses they're going to face this year. Fortunately for them to have a pretty good defense, and Bradford's a pretty low-risk guy, so I think between the checkdowns to Cook, but then also pretty close games, I'm hoping that that'll help at least his touch variance maybe not be so bad, but I think his output variance in terms of yardage and touchdowns, that's the part that I'm a little worried about, which is why... I, I want him a little higher, but I can't. Go, I'm not going crazy and saying that he belongs up there with guys like like Marshawn Lynch or Ty Montgomery or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And laxatives, Murray. I, I call them laxatives because if you type <laughs> his name in, this is a courtesy of Christopher Harris. But uh, if you type his name into the iPhone, it'll autocorrect Latavius to laxatives. So that's the, <laughs> the underlying reason for that. But. With Cook, I mean, we talk about that offensive line, and I don't have this uh, these figures in front of me. But was was last year an anomaly for that offensive line? Because they've supported Adrian Peterson for multiple years. And I mean, this is the first time this has really come up that they have a weak offensive line. 
Yeah, and, and it's not just their offensive line being weak. I mean, part of it was also the fact that, that they had running backs last year. I mean, Peterson got hurt, and then they had, you know, Asiata and McKinnon, and they're not very creative backs anyway. So I think they almost exposed that line to look even worse than they were, but they, they definitely aren't a, a high-quality offensive line. I wouldn't put them up there with Oakland, uh, you know, or, or some of these other teams. Pittsburgh is a great example, or, or Dallas, obviously. So, I mean, they're, they're more towards the bottom than the top, and, and I think, though, the fact that they're running backs, I think both McKinnon and Asiata averaged under two yards after contact per carry last year, which was among the worst in football. I think it just opens up the door for a guy like Cook who can be explosive, a guy who, you know, I think it was something like 20% of his carries at Florida State his his junior year went for 10 plus yards. I mean, he's a guy capable of making big plays. So I'm hoping that 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 translates to the NFL. I'm hoping that they use him and they use him in that receiving game. And and I just think, you know, at that point in the draft, you take your shots and, and Cook is looking good so far. So why the heck not? Yeah, and part of the reason I'm lower on Cook is because earlier in the offseason, there, uh, there were analysts that had him as the best running back in the class. And more of, more of my side was trying to push that value down to be more attainable. So I'm still trying to push his value down so I, could, I still have room to come up on him. But one of the, the, the major thing that I see with Cook is he, he doesn't have the measurables, but you look at his game film and he just looks, he looks so fluid. He almost looks like... I mean, the dreadlocks get in the way, but he almost looks like a Jamal Charles with his with his running style. So, do you see that type of upside where he could potentially be a top five running back down the road? I, I think I really do think he has the skill. I know, like you said, he didn't necessarily test as as well as as some of the other backs that that came out of this class. But it, you know, the film is definitely there. I think it, you know, from a an athletic profile, it may not be there. But when you start breaking down. The, the play data and things like that at Florida State, I mean, he grades out just as highly as guys like Mixon and Fournette in terms of his ability to break big runs, his ability to make tacklers miss. I mean, he was a guy who had a great catch rate and, and had a lot of big plays catching the football. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you have to balance out the athleticism versus the production, both in terms of film and data. And, uh, and, and Nick Whalen and I actually broke him down uh, on Filmmetrics before before we uh, went our separate ways for that one, um, but yeah, we both we both really liked him, and and despite the athletic profile, we both had kind of high high hopes for him, and I think this is the right team for him to go on that that has an immediate opportunity and an immediate need for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing I could see Dalvin Cook turning into is the uh, the zero RB strategy. I feel like he could be a real big uh, – he could be kind of like the Melvin Gordon of last year with zero RB. He could be that guy that you can, you have a bunch of questions about, but he could – if he hits, he's really going to hit. So he could be one of those proponents for people that want to do zero RB. Um, but So let's, let's move on to wide receiver. And you say I should lower Martavis Bryant, and that, that upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of people disagree with it. I know he's looked great. I know he's added the weight and everything else. And and I know we're talking a little bit more of the short term game because we're talking, you know, redraft or you know, we could we could throw in keepers there to an extent. I'm just I'm, I'm not ready to put him into that top twenty conversation because the the Steelers really haven't shown much of an ability to support two receivers like that. 
And and that's where I'm a little concerned. I know he he obviously had some great touchdown rates and and big play rates. I just don't know if if a healthy and explosive Le'Veon Bell plus Antonio Brown is going to leave Martavis Bryant enough to crack that part of the conversation. I like him more a little bit towards like the 21 to 24 range where he's just outside that top 20. And I would feel more comfortable. I would love him as a third receiver, but I think ADP wise, you can't really do that. Uh, but from the perspective of the talent is hundred percent there. And, and I could see him being the type of guy who gets wide receiver one seasons. I just, I'm not sold that this year's a year where, where the, it's going to match the ADP. This is a year where I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm willing to wait till 2018. Yeah. And let me put it that way. He has to take, I believe it's uh, three drug tests per week, and he has to go to two clinical evaluations per week. So that could put a little hindrance on it. It could be, you know, he could just feel a little too on the radar. So that's one thing I say. But, I mean, he has he has it all, like all the physical traits. And he's playing with Antonio Brown, who, although he is unquestionably the best wide receiver in the game right now, or, I mean, talent-wise, you could consider Julio up there because he has more physical traits that you want of a prototypical wide receiver. But Antonio Brown is in that smaller phylum, and he's his efficiency, he's been, what, like, wide receiver one through three for four straight seasons, which has never been done before. And I feel like I just don't know if that's sustainable. So as you say, the Pittsburgh offense can't sustain two wide receiver options. And I mean, I agree because I believe Le'Veon Bell is essentially a a wide receiver too. So he would be the third option there. And I see what you're saying, but I do think we should put some uh, account for some regression on Antonio because what he's doing is just not that it's out of this world. I'll tell you, I was looking when I was looking at your your, your tiers. You have Martavis Bryant and Terrell Pryor in the same tier, and that was one that made me think a lot to say, okay, when you think about their their, their game style and and they're both explosive type of players. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would you take one over the other? Both have good quarterbacks. Both have other options to contend with. And and honestly, I was pretty torn, and and that's where I was like, well, you know, I want to drop him, and maybe my heart you know, really wants to drop him, but maybe my brain has to override that and say, you know what, based on the other options, maybe that is where he belongs. So he's a, he's a tough one for me. He really is. And, and I could, I could see the case very easily for people saying that he's a mid wide receiver too, versus where I think he's maybe more of a low wide receiver too. Yeah. And I mean, what I'm hoping for, and I'm sure what everyone else is hoping for is his, uh, suspension risk really driving his value down in drafts. So he, becomes uh he becomes affordable because really right now he is being drafted at his potential like he's being he's going in the third fourth round and that's you can't really you're not really going to return value on that unless you have one of the big ifs like the Le'Veon bell injury or an antonio injury so he we do have to drive his market down a little bit but I could see him being the wide receiver one overall this season. We didn't we didn't do a good job of driving this market value down in this conversation for the record. Yeah, well <laughs> nobody nobody should draft Martavis Bryant. He's maybe tenth yeah. round, but no, on a on a more serious note, if he does pick up the bong one time, he's out of the NFL. So that risk kind of has to be incurred in his cost and I think as the more casual drafters are gonna come on that his ADP is gonna start being driven down. Um, and then let's look to the other guy, another another young guy, Michael Thomas, you said. And I know I'm pretty – I don't remember exactly where I have Thomas, but I 
think he's outside the top 15. You have him at 13 right 13, now, which is the end of your third tier. And so, you know, it's, it's not an unfair place to put him. Uh, I, I have him a little higher, and, and I speak as someone who really didn't like him going into the draft process last year. I wasn't the uh, bad Michael Thomas person. I wasn't in that camp when that was happening last year. I just really wasn't a big fan of his. Uh, I thought he did well in college. I just wasn't sure if it would translate, and then obviously he went to the Saints, and that, that always helps. Uh, but but with, with Thomas and with 2017, I mean, you're talking about he's, he loses Brandon Cooks, which is obviously huge. I mean, that's 120-plus targets that go away. And you have a quarterback in Drew Brees who has 11 straight 4,000-yard seasons. Mm-hmm. The next closest people have six. And that's all time, not even just active, although the next two are technically active in Stafford and Matt Ryan. Uh, but with Thomas, I mean, it's pretty clear that you know, he's consistent. I think he didn't have a game that was under 40 yards or four catches, if I remember right. And and then you lose Brandon Cooks. You know, Willie Sneed's basically his main competition. I know they added the running backs with Adrian Peterson and with Alvin Kamara in the second round. Uh, and then uh, if you want to count Kobe Fleener, you sure can. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe he's good for, for 60 to 80 targets, and I think that's fine. But, yeah, Thomas, I mean, really, the offense is his to take hold of. I mean, it's Breeze has proven that he can throw to small receivers like Cooks. He can throw to big receivers like Marcus Colson or Michael Thomas. I just I think the upside is high and the floor is really, really high as well. And so for me, I have him more in the like right after kind of Baldwin and T.Y. Hilton, who'd be kind of my seven, eight area. So I, I probably would have him more towards eight or nine. That's where I would put him. So I have him. Very, very firmly entrenched in the wide receiver one conversation, whereas I think you're more on the fringe. Uh, I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to like him right now. Yeah, I just my big drawback on him is he's only done it for one season, and on his his player profiler, he doesn't he doesn't really stand out that much. I mean, but Willie Sneed is just a guy. Like he probably runs a five two forty, and then <laughs> goes and dyes his hair, but. I mean, in that Saints offense, there are points to go around. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, is it going to stick in the second year is my my hesitation. And when it comes down to that, I'd almost just rather go and get a guy like Dez, where I know I'm going to get a, a pretty hot, a little bit higher of a floor on Dez. And I know Dez, for example, has the toughest schedule maybe in the history of, <laughs> what, of wide receiver ones. But I just... With wide receivers, I'm more of a, an RB heavy guy, so I'm not going wide receiver in the second round in general. So that pushes his, him down for me. But I mean, with wide receiver, it's that's a position where I want to see it over multiple years, and that's just the box that Michael Thomas doesn't check. And as to, as for what you were saying before, the bad Michael Thomas, he's on the Rams. <laughs> so well, I don't even think he's really on the Rams because he's suspended right now, so he's kind of on he's kind of on the sidelines for now. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I understand what you're saying. There's always, uh, you know, a, a prognosticator's best friend is historical data, you know, so the more of it you have, the more confident you're going to feel about the next year and the next year. And, and that's 100 percent true. And I agree. I think with a guy like Thomas, the historical data we have is almost less about him and more about this offense. And that's that's where I think the upside is. I mean, I think if I if I remember correctly, Rich Freebar said that Drew Brees and, and the, the Saints wide receivers, I should say, the Saints wide receivers have finished in the top three collectively as a group in terms of fantasy performance each of the last 11 years. So every year that Drew Brees has been there. 
So, you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot of safety in the environment and that's why to me, I'm willing to push him up a little higher and willing to take that. But, but to your point around, you know, draft strategies and redraft, you know, if, if you are RB heavy, I mean, I tend to be a little bit more of a mix. I like to go RB wide receiver or wide receiver RB, uh, you know, if it fits your strategy, hey, you go for it and, and you look at your ranks. And, and that's why I'm a big fan of tiers, because I think tier breaks really make a much bigger difference to me than the difference between six and seven if they're in the same tier. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I know what you're saying. Uh, I'm just going to respectfully disagree. Yeah. So um, so since you're uh, you're pro Michael Thomas, I just want to hear what you think a ceiling is for this season. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know. I hate to I hate to be bold because I'm just I don't think that's my that's my personality. But if I really had to put a ceiling on him, it's probably something like 90 catches, 1400 yards, and like 13 touchdowns, which seems really really high. And that's fine. I don't think he'll hit all three, but I think it's reasonable if he were to hit any one of those three, I wouldn't be totally surprised. I just don't expect him to do all those things. Yeah, I think a more reasonable number is probably more like 75 to 80 catches. 1200 yards and then maybe somewhere in the seven to nine touchdown range yeah and that's that's the big question mark for me is the touchdowns because i look to guys like mike evans and kelvin benjamin who really came on and scored a lot in their rookie season and then they went down to well i mean kelvin benjamin had the acl injury but mike he literally went down yeah yeah. mike Mm -hmm. evans who was depending on your scoring the best wide receiver last year he only scored three touchdowns the season before and he's he's a touchdown guy so you know the yards are going to be there with the Saints, but I'm not 100% sure that the scoring will be. And with them kind of feeding both Ingram, who they've gone away from consistently, and Adrian Peterson, I believe, I think he could have a really big year just because he is Adrian Peterson. And I'm like, this is the first year you can get Adrian Peterson outside the third round in his career. So I'm taking my chances on AP over Michael Thomas there. So, I mean, that's really where I'm, like diverging the points too. So yeah, that's, that said, let's move on to uh, tight ends and finish this up so we can get some of your analysis on the fantasy, on the uh, dynasty side. So you said that you would uh, raise Austin Hooper. And I actually just spoke to Mike Clay about Austin Hooper. So I want to hear your take on him as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I liked his talent coming out last year out of the draft I mean, typically tight ends, it tends to take two to three years for them to progress and become good options. Uh, that said, I did a study on tight ends and looked at their progression. So so year one, I think it's something like 8% of tight ends have a top 12 season uh, if they were even drafted in the first three rounds. So so those like high end, let's call them high end rookies, it's very rare for them to to hit right away. But then when you get into the second and third and fourth year, it all starts to normalize out. So if you hit it your second year, you tend to pretty consistently hit it after that. And, and that's what I expect from Hooper. I expect Hooper to be a guy who gets into that top 12 to top 15 range this year. And I think he's going to maintain that for a long time. I think it's an offense that really works for him with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and no second receiver in that offense. And and even Jacob Tammy had some pretty good years there. And no one's going to mistake Jacob Tammy for being a, a high flight tight end option. And Hooper has the intangibles. He has, you know, he can block. He is a, is a guy who has shown an ability to be a receiver. I mean, anyone who remembers the playoffs last year, remember that he kind of broke out there a little bit. And, and 
Yeah, he, he is he is a receiving tight end. I mean, that's that was his kind of calling card coming into the draft more than anything. And some people had him above Hunter Henry last year, you know, going into rookie drafts. So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I like him. And like I said, I think he could probably do kind of what he, uh, Eric Ebron did, you know, early on, which is kind of that 50 to 60 catch range with, you know, pretty good yardage, but maybe not the touchdowns that you want just because there are good running back and, and, you know, Julio Jones is there. Yeah. And that's going to come down to, I know Steve Sarkeesian said that they want to get Julio the ball in the red zone more, but that just, I mean, it never seems to happen. And it, you wonder why, because he is the 6'4 beast. And, like, how hard can it be to get Julio Jones the ball in the end zone? But So he, he could have that upside if they don't go Julio, like Sarkeesian says. But I, I am on board with Hooper. I'm probably going to be moving him up. I have a, a couple stats, like um, Matt Ryan's passer rating when targeting Hooper was 150. So that's basically perfect. He had a, a PFF extrapolated grade from week 17 through the playoffs of 80 which would put him in for the uh, the 10th best graded tight end and I mean all the signs are looking up for Hooper but it could be one of those those guys where we don't have enough data on and he kind of just pulls the chair out from under you but he's a he's coming at a good value so you really can't see that either because I mean he's going as a tight end too in almost every draft right yeah yeah he goes late and you know probably don't even need to draft him (laughs) Yeah, and then the the final one we pinpointed was uh, you said I should lower Jack Doyle. What's your what's your reasoning behind that? Why do you hate Jack Doyle? I, I don't hate Jack Doyle. I like him. He sounds like an iron worker or something, you know, real blue collar guy. So I appreciate that. But with with him, part of it's the Andrew Luck thing that worries me a little bit. I mean, we've seen Colts backup quarterbacks all throughout the years of the Peyton Manning years, you know, when, when he would come out of a game randomly or whatever. And it's never really gone well. I don't want to paint that picture and assume that Eric, Andrew Luck's backup is going to be terrible. But, you know, we, we've been burned there before. It does, they, the offense doesn't tend to operate the same way when their star quarterback leaves the field. Uh, with Doyle, I mean, you know, we've talked about a couple other guys, right? He's not necessarily proven either. It's taken him a little while to break out. I like the fact that Dwayne Allen's gone. You know, it opens up opportunity, but they also have such a a plethora of options at wide receiver. Doesn't mean that they're all good. They certainly aren't, but they have a lot of options there. I mean, you know, Kamar Aiken and <coughs> Philip Dorsett and Dante Moncrief and and Ty Hilton. I mean, there's a lot of good options there, and you know, and Frank Gore can catch the ball too. I don't want to take anything away from him. Uh, arthritis may may inhibit his ability to catch the ball, but. Uh, yeah, with Doyle, it's not even so much I'm, I'm upset with his talent. It's more just the situation in me. It makes me want to knock him down a couple of notches and maybe put him more in the, you know, Jason Witten, uh, Fedorowicz range rather than the Martellus Bennett, Kyle Rudolph range, where I feel a little more confident about those picks. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And it seems like we talk about getting the chair pulled out from under you. It seems like with the uh, the Colts tight ends, that's happened every year. We expect to take <laughs> things from Fleener. Fleener leaves. We expect uh, Dwayne Allen to come in and really surge in that offense. And then Jack Doyle breaks out. So it could be Eric Swoop, too. So, I mean, <laughs> there's no guarantee that Doyle's going to have a great year. But let's pivot over to the dynasty aspect. So um, if you could really quickly just explain some of the different dynasty leagues out there. At Pyromaniac, we don't have that much uh, coverage on dynasty. I, I know Waz is our resident expert, but we don't really get that deep into dynasty aspect of, of uh, fantasy football. So, uh, so what are the different types of dynasty leagues that you're seeing out there? 
Yeah, first off, uh, Waz is my guy. Love Waz. So, you know, we hung out uh, about a month or two ago. We went to a Cubs game, so that, that was fun. Uh, but, but yeah, with, with Dynasty, I mean, what's, what's great about it to me is that is that variability within the Dynasty League. So you have your typical Dynasty League, which is you, you're going to keep everyone as long as you want. There's, you know, no end in sight. You don't have to redraft them every year. And then subsequently you have rookie drafts and maybe free agent drafts in order to, to kind of add to your team. Uh, and, and build it up over time as well. Uh, you know, you start getting into variations with things like salary caps, which is similar to, to redraft has kind of salary cap type leagues, uh, auctions, you know, you can do that as well. Uh, contract leagues become more popular with, with a dynasty format where you have multiple years with them. So, so the kitchen sink is a good example of a league that incorporates that, but it incorporates everything. We don't need to get into that so much, but, uh, you know, so you can have a guy for a couple of years and, and options to keep them later on. Um, then you get into things like, like there, there's now Debbie that gets added. So college football players you draft before they're even rookies and you store them on like a, a taxi squad until they're, they're rookies. And then you can promote them to your senior squad. I play a good number of those leagues. Uh, and then there's things like empire leagues where, where it's like a dynasty league and you play it for multiple years, but, but there's a rule where maybe if someone wins back to back titles, you redo the entire dynasty draft and you start over again, or, you know, that there's different ways that you can kind of end the league, so to speak, but keep the owners and, and restart the dynasty. I've seen some crazy ones where, where people will have the same team, but they change the rules every year and you don't even know what the rules are going to be. So maybe one year it's PPR, one year it's standard. So, I mean, people just have a lot of fun with it. And I think that's really the biggest thing to me is, you know, it's big rosters. It's usually at least 24 guys on a roster. Most are closer to 30 to 35. Um, and, and you know what? It, it, it's great because you keep those same owners every year and, and trades are so common in those leagues. And that just builds the rapport between all the owners. And that's that's the best part, right? That's that's one of the reasons we play fantasy football is to to create kind of friendships that that last even longer than our fantasy leagues do, because let's be honest, they all fold eventually. But uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it's, it's great, man. I, I love them. You know, it's a lot of fun. I love redraft, too. But but it's a good way to kind of keep the offseason rolling when when redraft kind of shuts down for a few months. So if you're a degenerate like I am, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. And my my league of record is hands down just in the, the worst format it's a a two keeper league where the keepers are your first two picks oh boy and it's um <laughs> it's point per reception but the wide receivers don't get a point until they reach 20 yards so it's, <laughs> it's ass backwards just all together but yeah so i mean that's really you you just you don't want to find yourself in that situation because Basically what that does is I have I have Zeke and Le'Veon Bell in that league, so I'm set. But there are other owners that are going to be like, well, should I keep Jeremy Hill or Jeremy Langford? <laughs> but um, yeah, so I want to dive into this, the virtues of handcuffing in a dynasty league. Could you tell me what you went through in that article? Because I, I read through it. It's a great read. And I want to plug uh, your PFF subscription too because these uh, – these seven, seven or eight articles that I read, I printed them out, and they're worth the forty dollars subscription just in the mo- in themselves. Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that's nice to say. Uh, as far as the article itself, so uh, it was funny because because I was writing mine, and and then JJ put out his while I was writing mine. So it was kind of funny, you know. I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, we obviously had similar thoughts in our head, but but you know, dynasty is much different than redraft in terms of. 
when you're starting to fill out your roster. Because generally speaking, if you're going to handcuff a running back, you're not doing it in the early rounds. You're doing it in the later rounds. There's a few exceptions, you know, the Tevin Coleman's to your Devonta Freeman's even in redraft. He, he goes pretty early. Uh, but, you know, the, the thought was, OK, is is there advantages to doing running back handcuffs in dynasty because it's a larger roster because the churn in terms of your team is a lot lower because you're keeping everybody for a while right so if you have a running back he starts to age out you should probably grab that handcuff because you're not even thinking about injury as much as you're thinking retirement maybe he's the next guy up although we've been burned with frank gore about 12 times in dynasty leagues where we thought you know maybe it was going to be uh uh, you know, uh, gosh, why am I forgetting his name now? Uh, um, Robinson. I can't think of his first name, but but they drafted him a few years back, and yeah, and he, and he never turned up. And now Marlon Max all the rage, and you know we had Robert Turbin there for a hot minute, and Josh Ferguson. Some people thought would maybe be the PPR guy there, uh, but you know it, the advantages though is that that you have additional roster spots. If I'm at 30 roster spots and I can grab a, a an RB handcuff, a, a Jalen Richard, let's say to a Marshawn Lynch, even who you know may not be the direct handcuff in 2017, but might be a guy who gets play after Lynch is done again. It's worth it, right? And and there are a few high priced. It's it's a little different dynasty, right? Because if it's a young guy, and even if he's not starting, he can still get drafted pretty early. You know, Derrick Henry's a guy who regularly gets picked before Demarco Murray in dynasty drafts, and redraft people probably think that's crazy, <laughs> but but that's the way it works. Yeah, it is crazy. I don't I don't like Henry in general. From what I saw in his college <laughs> film, I saw him. He's big and he's fast. But whenever you hit him around the hips, he seems to go down. That's just, that was just what I saw from this film. But that's what, I, that's what I really want to get into is how do you look at this film? Because I know the biggest issue that I see in the film is I can't fully comprehend the, the space that they're able to create. Because like easily stated, uh, if you're very talented at getting yourself into space and working in space in the SEC, that's much harder than the Big Ten. Like Those are just two completely different leagues, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, you know, NFL draft evaluators have some of the same issues, you know, in terms of level of competition and everyone just wants to automatically discount a player who has a lower level of competition. But the hard part there is I think there's a certain level of dominance you can have against lower competition where you could argue, hey, this guy could be anywhere and be successful. But what is that threshold? We don't know. But but to talk about, you know, first off, uh, you, you can't bash Derrick Henry in my household. We're an Alabama family. My wife went there, so so that's not allowed. Uh, but yeah, specific to, to some of those guys, you know, that's where I lean on on the Matt Waldman's and and my buddy Nick Whalen and um, you know some of the other guys who are really really good eyes for film and, and really can break it down. And then I love the work that Matt Harmon and Graham Barfield are doing with wide receivers and running backs and really starting to chart that film. And I think it just really shows that film and, and data it, it, it should work hand in hand and that that you know everything is is created from the other so so you know everyone's going to say oh well but the film is the pure form and and everything else but at the end of the day what they're trying to do is is create statistics whether that's yards to create first downs or it's touchdowns to add points which is what you want to do to win the games and vice versa right every every statistic is derived from the plays that are happening on the field so uh you know to to wind back around to your question uh yeah i try to watch film and i try to watch a lot of film but but really i take my notes and then i have to go to guys like nick and and matt waldman and and you know all these other people who are so great at at breaking it down 
and see if see if I'm seeing what they're seeing and, and see what maybe they see differently. And then I can go back a second time and take another look. And man, I'm wasting way too much time watching film apparently. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like for me, I'm a data guy. That's my, that's my professional career. That's, that's, you know, my niche in this community. And, uh, and so I'm always going to do that work and and be confident in that work. Whereas I'm going to do the film work. I'm not going to feel quite as confident until I go to my trusted sources. Right, yeah, and that's one of the, the major emphasis that I'm trying to implement this year is I'm trying to completely get rid of confirmation bias. So an example of that is I like uh, I like Andy Dalton this year just on a, a football situ- a football pure football analysis. They're bringing in some great weapons for that offense. They lost some people on the offensive line, but offensive lines, they, they work as a group. It's not in individuals on an offensive line. You can hide people in the offensive within the offensive line. So, I mean, I think that's being a little overrated, but they bring in a Joe Mixon, who's basically an Ezekiel Elliott clone. They bring in John Ross, who is Usain Bolt on steroids. So, I mean, they should be able to open up the field. They only had two two games with uh, AJ Green and Tyler Eifert last year. So, Dalton is definitely in line for some positive regression, which that's not a real word. But no, no, it's real. No, positive, positive regression's real. No, I, I, I that's a real thing. Um, I, I'm going to jump in on Dalton because I love him too. Uh, couple things I'll add. One is he's a guy who's always had a quick release. If you look at PFF's data around time to throw, he's he's consistently been one of the fastest in the league, and that's why he has a low sack rate consistently. I mean, part of it, he's had a good offensive line, but he's always been a guy who's been a quick decision maker, and that helps. I mean, you know, as much as offensive line, you know, subtractions and changes can hurt any quarterback, I mean, you know, him not holding the ball the way that Russell Wilson does, for example, is going to limit his exposure to those hits and 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 subsequently to bad decisions. And I agree. I think Ross is a great addition. I love him opposite A.J. Green. And the guy you didn't mention was Tyler Boyd, who was a second-rounder last year and, and is a great slot receiver. I mean, I don't think anyone drafted him thinking that he was going to be the guy who's going to be uh, you know taking over A.J. Green's role. But he definitely is going to serve a nice role there along with Eifert and Mixon's a great receiver and Giovanni Bernard's coming back and he's another great receiving back. So, man, he's got all the weapons in the world and, you know, I'm hoping the Red Rifle puts out a good season. Oh, man, because everyone's on Dalton this year. If we're wrong, there's something seriously <laughs> wrong with our industry. I mean, like, that's that's the one thing is, like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I kind of like Dalton this year. J.J. Zacharyson comes on. He's like, oh, Dalton's my favorite value pick. Mike Clay <laughs> comes on. Oh, yeah, go after Dalton. You come on, Dalton. It's just who. Like if Dalton and, and he has and he has the historical you know success with it too. He has multiple you know QB one seasons, and I mean, what's not to like about the guy? I mean, it's hard it's hard not to like him. Other than he maybe just doesn't fit that prototypical you know you know big arm you know running quarterback or whatever people are looking for. He doesn't have one spectacular skill. He just has a lot of good skills. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people bring him down or wrong because he is a redhead. That's right. I think it's it's easy to say. You can you look at him and you say this guy is not a very good athlete. So that's right. I'll bring him down. But uh, one thing I want to point into is uh, this upcoming this 2018 class. This is this is looking like one of the better running back classes that we've seen in a very long time. So when you take that into into effect, if you're in a, a dynasty league or a a bigger a larger keeper league where you keep a, a bigger. Per, 
proportion of the team. Are you kind of looking, are you going this year, are you going after the Corey Davises or some of the wide receivers knowing that next year there's going to be a, a such a nice crop of running backs? Or how does that kind of play into your your decision-making down the road? I mean, I like, I like this running back class, too, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, Fournette's a very good running back, and he landed in a great situation on a team that really needs him and is clearly looking to be run first. So, so I like him. Mixon's a tremendously skilled player. I'm a big Christian McCaffrey fan as well, and I, I mentioned Alvin Cook before. So I liked this class. I think where next year's is different is it has two guys who are – much more talented than anyone who came out this year and you some people will probably make the argument that they're both more talented than Ezekiel Elliott from the year before and that's Saquon Barkley from Penn State and it's Darius Geis from from Louisiana State LSU and uh and and there's depth in the class too don't get me wrong there's other good running backs in that class but they are clearly two tiers above anybody else that are that that could come out for 2018 even Nick Chubb who I love he's still got some some issues with with his need to kind of come back from but as far as you know what would i do this year versus next year i mean in terms of rookie drafts you always just have to draft the best guy on the board that's just the way it goes you can't draft for need because with rookies i would rather pick the better talent than the guy who maybe might fill a need for me in a couple years you know in a couple years you can make a trade and and turn that tide pretty easily so so i always bet on talent there and and you know just one more thing with 2018 class it's a it's a pretty good wide receiver class too. I don't think it's quite as deep as this year, but Cortland Sutton is a guy who looks like he's going to be uh, just as good as, as anyone who came out of this class this year. And uh, there's a couple other guys like Auden Tate and Equinemius St. Brown, which is a hard name to pronounce and even harder to spell. Uh, you know, there's there's some other good guys in that class who could emerge with another season of, of college football. So. Yeah, I like the class. I think the big difference is going to be the quarterback position. That's where I think a lot of people are going to get excited that there are three or four guys who could be first-round picks and legitimate first-round picks, not Jared Goff. We don't have any better option to take, so let's just take him first overall type of first-round picks. So. And even this year, that's what, uh, that's what a lot of the people were saying is uh, none of these quarterbacks are first-round quarterbacks, but because of the need, they're going to be picked in the – the top, they, the three of them ended up going in the top twelve. So I mean, that really just shows you the drastic need. But yeah, those quarterbacks, they, they look, they're looking like the uh, the Andrew Luck RG three plus one. Yeah, it's it's really it's really exciting, and I think uh, you know the Jets are going to be a team that's probably going to be the one that's going to need one. So you know whether it's it's Josh Rosen from UCLA or it's 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 Josh Allen from Wyoming and Sam Darnold from USC. Those are the three big ones, and then you have guys like Luke Falk and and some of these others who could definitely emerge and become first round picks. Uh, so so I mean it, it'll be exciting to see, and and with Dynasty right, it's it's not just the players that get drafted; it's the people who benefit from those guys getting drafted. So uh, you could definitely see some nice bumps. You know, I don't think there's any good Jets receivers, but let's just pretend there was. You know, you'd see a nice bump for one of them if uh, if they got a quarterback. So yeah, it's exciting, man. I'm I'm really looking forward to both the, the NFL and the college football season. I think uh I think they're both going to tell us a lot this year, which you know is always exciting. Yeah, and another another quarterback you uh, left off. He's probably a tear down as Baker Mayfield. I really like him. Yeah, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. I think probably you know, assuming he's a quarterback. You know, we just don't know yet. But I mean, he looks like he could be a lot of fun. Um, you know, and and some people really like Mason Rudolph. I'm not quite as high on him as some of the others, but. But I, but I think that's part of the fun of, of looking at them before the season and then watching everything unfold because, I mean, 
one season can make such a big difference. We see it every year with guys, and and that's where you know Corey Coleman emerged as a random one year guy. Kevin White emerged as a one year guy. Uh, you know, it, it happens all the time. So so you know, it's, it, you just have to have uh, an open mind and not not get too locked into preseason tears. Yeah, and uh, one thing I want to pivot to is. Uh, Going back to that that keeper aspect and how if we were talking about a, a legitimate keeper league where you keep people at their at their value and it doesn't kind of it doesn't just escalate to being a first round pick. Um, what are the what are the names of some of the guys who you will take at a higher price this year because you foresee them having uh, a lot more success down the road? So like like you mentioned, a Derrick Henry who you say could get that Titans starting role as early as as next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some some interesting guys. I mean, you know, retirements, free agency, all those things can kind of create opportunities. You know, you think about uh, Josh Doxson's an example of someone who a year from now, if Terrell Pryor's gone and they re-sign Kirk Cousins, could really be a guy that could be really interesting for owners. Or it could work the other way and Kirk Cousins leaves and then, then he's on an island. But but I think he's one that could be interesting. Uh you know, it, it's it's tough. I want to say Philip Dorsett is is a really interesting late flyer because Dante Moncrief is going to be a free agent, and you know who knows what what happens there. Uh, but he's a, he's a tough one for me to want to bet on, yeah, <laughs> as much as I, I do like him. He's had a fair share of opportunities too, and where he just yeah yeah absolutely. I think uh, I think Sammy Watkins is another one where he's getting drafted high, but he's another guy. They declined his fifth year option and. I mean, there's not many teams that he could land on where I'd feel worse about his situation than I do right now. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some other guys. Um, you know, goodness, uh, I'm blanking right now. But um, let me think. Who's another one that I was? I, I had someone in mind and, and I lost it. Oh, you know who the other one is? Is um, Devonte Adams is interesting because. Yeah, Jordy Nelson will be a year older. Yeah, Cobb is going to have another year off that contract, and and, and it's going to be a little more palatable if they want to cut him. And and Adams is a free agent in his own right, so there's a lot of gears at play there. And yeah, it could work one way or the other. But uh, but I think he's he's kind of a one who emerged last year, and and I know some people still stick about his hands and everything else. But I mean, he's a guy who clearly has shown that that he can make plays. And so, yeah, those are a couple of guys that, that, that I'm kind of interested in. I mean, you can obviously go further down the list and, and find other guys who have opportunities. I mean, I would have said Tevin Coleman, but, but you know, yeah, Devonta does. Freeman just signed that contract. So, so that kind of blows that out of the water. Yeah. And um, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought. Too much, uh, too much <laughs> minion games over here. Um, so are there, there any la- – because we basically went through uh, – you guys can go over to PFF and look at all of uh, look at all all of George's work. I believe all of your work is within that Edge subscription, so check that out on Twitter. He is Rotohack, spelled how you would assume. And uh, so, are there any other things that you would like this Pyro audience to know about? That's either going on with you, going on with PFF, or going on in general in fantasy, where you kind of see a market inequality. Yeah, so um, you know, in terms of going on with me, I'll, I'll uh, be taking over the the PFF Fantasy account next Wednesday from 7 p.m. Eastern time until 8 p.m. Eastern time. So I'll be answering questions and things like that. So that's August 15th. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm working on a new series at PFF, kind of examining uh, different 
kind of streaks and 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 uh, performances and things like that, and kind of trying to put them into context in terms of you know should that have come from that player? Is it sustainable? What does it mean for fantasy? Uh, so so I'm excited about that, and that'll run through the season. Um, and then as far as yeah, fantasy other fantasy advice or marketing qualities. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, at the end of the day, it's all for fun. You know, just have fun with it and, um, you know, just draft Michael Thomas pretty early and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was just awesome having George on. He's a, he's a great dynasty mind and a great fantasy mind in general. We're definitely going to look to uh, have you on because I know you do play a little DFS, so you could give us a little DFS action during the year, but I will definitely look in the uh, upcoming offseason to do some deep dives on some of these upcoming rookies with you. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, George. I know uh, you were running a little bit late and we probably have you up until what? It's a uh, getting close to nine o'clock there. So uh, thank you very much for coming on and giving us these uh, 50 plus minutes of fantasy analysis. It was great having you. It's very appreciative. No, no, thank you so much. And, uh, and happy to be on anytime. Yep. Awesome. So everyone go and uh, follow George on Twitter at RotoHack. Go get your PFF subscription. I, I have mine and I, I love it. It's not a, not a cent wasted, but uh, thank you. Good luck this year. And uh, we'll be t- in touch shortly.